welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Welcome, adventurers, to episode 49 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. My name is Patrick. Hey, King Scott here. And we are the show that comes to you every other week, except for occasionally when we have the opportunity to do a side quest. I'm keeping you busy, Scott. Yes, you are. I mean, I've been busy on affairs of state here lately, and you've been holding down the garrison, so you've been doing, like, the king's amount of work here right now. <laughs> Did you just say you're having an affair? I, I, let's move on. Before we dive into the meat of the episode, uh, we do want to give an update. And I did this uh, an episode ago, but we did a side quest for Rogue Angels, Legacy of the Burning Suns. And we got to yes, chat with Neil Larson. Yeah, super psyched. That looks really, really awesome. Well, unfortunately, that Kickstarter has been canceled. In talking with Emil and seeing the last update that he did, he said he absolutely intends on relaunching this campaign, getting Rogue Angels out into the hands of gamers. It's just the logistics. He wanted to produce it in Germany. He wanted to iron some things out and get things a little bit, uh, we'll say, more financially beneficial for us so keep your eyes up we're gonna leave that episode up so if you want to go back and listen to it whenever he does relaunch we'll put up the reminders so folks can check that one out we had a lot of fun with rogue angels yeah yeah i'm sad to hear that but it's good that he has the chance to see what was going on and adapt to what people wanted and what he wanted to get out to people so that's awesome to hear that he's just taking it back a little bit Relooking at some things here and getting it back out to us again soon. So, hey, Emil, all the best there. Sometimes calibration is key with Kickstarter. It's a that tricky animal. That is. Well, Scott, we're here today because I had the opportunity to play Solar 175. This is going to be all the hotness here soon. Big, giant Kickstarter legacy element, Euro-style game. I've seen these pictures online. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to play this thing. And I had the chance to. Well, I looked at the thing here as well, too. And I'm looking at it. And it's like, there's just a bunch of little squares here that you're putting things on. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm kind of iffy on it, to be honest about this. Oh, it makes you iffy. Um, I don't know. It's it just one of those things where it seems like it might be too busy or too simple. I really don't know. But then again, I look at the weight and the weight is a 4.0 out of 5 on BGG. So that's really screaming like, hey, this is something that could be really, really cool. Like I said, I was busy with some other things and I wasn't able to join you. I want you to do something here for me. All right, let's hear it. Okay. What I want you to do is, I don't know. How about a walkthrough? Give me a walkthrough of this and see if I change my mind. Okay. We'll do the walkthrough. Before I get to it, I do want to point out that 4.0 weight, you know why that is that way? It's brand new. It's just new on the BGG page. So they've only had like one or two people say what they felt the weight was. So that's going to, over time, as they get more people clicking what they feel the weight of the game is, I think that's going to calibrate itself to lower threes, like a 3.2, a 3. It's not mega complex. Okay, well, you're warming me up a bit. <laughs> Step one, say it's easier. Okay, so you want to walk through. <laughs> yes, yes. Let me know about this game. 
Designed by Joseph and Maddie Adams. Produced by Cojito Ergo Meeple and live on Kickstarter March 1st. Solar 175 is an epic Euro-style legacy experience for one to five players set in a dystopian sci-fi future. Now, before we dive in, note that this game has legacy elements and is meant to be played several times, so treat this walkthrough as what you might expect in your first game. SolarWind 75 is a bag-building worker placement game in which players take on the role of the head of a corporation vying for the most influence in this dystopian space canvas, which takes place about 175 years after what is described only as a catastrophic event. To begin the game, the board is set up, consisting of the sun in the middle of the various planets and systems moving outward. Players receive one of each worker type, represented by a disc, and these discs are placed on your player board and used to take various actions. As you might have guessed, several actions gain access to more discs, allowing players to influence the contents of their bag throughout play. The turn structure consists of three phases. The first phase is simply drawing these discs from your bag up to your allotted amount. Next, players will simultaneously assign their workers to various locations on their player board. And then finally, players will carry out the actions that they've assigned workers to. Briefly, this means that if you want to activate the outpost location, you'll have to assign a white disc, a generic worker that is, as well as a gray disc, or engineer, on the outpost location during the assign phase, and then you carry out the outpost action during the action phase. The actions you can take do a number of things, and to understand the game, I'd like to give sort of a 30,000 foot view of what they do. Five of these spaces are specifically designed to provide more workers to your bag, that is, the four main worker types, plus a space for obtaining a wild. Furthermore, when acquiring a new worker, you get a bonus action, ranging from free ship movement to a free trade action, which is any one of the actions listed on three different trade cards. In this way, in Solar 175, you can see how a simple action like acquiring a new worker has been given a strategic decision for you to make. The outpost action allows a player to build an outpost on the board. This is a simple representation of area control. The base building action produces a similar result, but requires some resources to perform. Ship movement will allow you to move your main ship on the board, which is important for some placement rules. And finally, there are locations where you can allocate a worker to lose it from your bag permanently, and these spaces can be quite profound. You see, the endgame scoring in Solar 175 is player-dependent. You might build a ton of outposts, but they only score what players dictate throughout the game. You see, if players are committing to the UFSS action space, they lose that token from their bag and they place it on the UFSS space on the board. At the end of the game, outposts will score based on how many basic worker discs have been committed to that space. There are three different aspects of the game that are scored in this way, and players directly influence it. Finally, I wanted to highlight the space for voting. It's as simple as committing a black disc, representing a lobbyist, and removing it from your bag to vote on which of the three endgame scoring cards you would like to see applied. At the end of the game, the box is opened and each of the votes are tallied. For example, perhaps megastructure scoring has been voted for the most. That means that the endgame megastructure scoring is doubled. Here again, the players directly influence how the endgame scoring is going to be applied. Now there are a lot of minor actions that can be performed, combos found, and triggers that are going to occur throughout play, but hopefully this walkthrough gives you an understanding of the game, mainly that this is a bag-building worker placement game that has elements of area control. And it's a game that will score based on how players influence the final scoring criteria. 
Finally, Solar175 has unlockable content, narrative, and other variables that can be injected. Know that the game's going to evolve and new elements might be introduced into future plays that you will not have seen in a previous. Now let's get back to the adventure and share our thoughts on Solar175. It's been 175 years since the unspeakable war, the horrific event that left all of the solar system's vast resources to just one governmental organization. Since then, the establishment of elections has allowed for the development of rival parties, little more than puppets for corporations with tremendous influence. The solar system's wealth is a prize for the most ruthless. This is your moment. As a newly established CEO, you fund a small ship and begin hiring your team, eyes fixed on the riches of the universe. But beware, you are not alone in this pursuit. All right, Patrick, thank you so much for the walkthrough. So you're warming me up here a little bit more now. Good, I mean, it's, it's sounding pretty good. Do we have enough for an 8-bit breakdown? I don't think it'd be fair to do an 8-bit breakdown. No, we're going to we're going to give it a breakdown, but it's not going to be the official 8-bit breakdown because I got the chance to play one time online and this is a legacy game, so the game's going to evolve oh, as you okay. play. Um, not so much in like destroying components, but altering components, introducing rules, things of that nature. So it's not fair to give the game the full assessment, but we're going to share what we know. So you ask the questions and I'll I'll sell you on the game. Okay. It's, I like it's, where it's going to be an easy sell, Scott. This was good. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, hey, you're putting the cart before the horse right now, so I can be kind of uh, skeptical about these things. Don't so even know what Let's that means. see what we got. <laughs> all right. So first of all, what did you think about the art and components of the game? Well, everyone's first impression whenever you have a big Kickstarter game like this coming out comes from the art and the components. We usually see it scrolling down our Instagram feed or our Facebook feed. You get an ad and it's, mm-hmm. boy, I tell you what, Facebook targeting ads is going to destroy my wallet because I no longer have like my friend's kids or <laughs> anything that's related to my personal life on Facebook. It's literally I like know I have that same problem. Games. Same issue? <laughs> yes, same issue exactly. Well, the first impression is always going to be the art and the components. You look at the pictures. You see the pictures of what the pieces you're going to be playing with. I think that's why we give it so much credit here. The components in this case are going to be a little bit tough for me to judge because I played it on Tabletop Simulator. But mm. with those teaser images, with the ships, the deluxe bits, they have some metal bits that you can get – I don't think that there's going to be any sort of a disappointment in the components. The main board is made up of a bunch of a bunch of like cardboard pieces that they are squares, like you said, with a planet on them and you align them. Now, if that's like a crappy cardboard, sure, it could be. I don't think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a nice sturdy carpet. There's no reason to believe that anything is going to be disappointing. Now, I see that you have player boards that you put things on. It looks like they're like double ply with the little cutouts and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Double layered player boards. You're going to have those worker discs that represent the various engineers and generic workers and pilots that you can acquire. They're going to be slotting onto your board. And as most gamers know from a game like, say, Terraforming Mars, it's a pain whenever the board is not. We've all bumped the table. Oh, yeah, yeah. And (laughs) 
looking at this, this is one of those things I think is wonderful that on Kickstarters now and in games in general, it seems to be this is kind of sliding to the norm now instead of just having a flat board to play on. Absolutely. We're at a point now where you don't get bonus points for having a double layered board. You just lose points if you don't. Yeah, yeah. Now, the art in the game, holy cow. I know you've seen pictures of this art. It's absolutely stunning. When you're playing the game, no, it's your player board and it's the main board. You're going to be seeing a lot of planets. You're going to be seeing a lot of uh, icons on your workers and whatnot. But where you do see the art throughout the rulebook, throughout their narrative that they have, they even have a magazine. Come on, they, they, they insert in a magazine. We'll get into that in Theme and Immersion. But the art is fantastic. Okay. Let's go to Theme and Immersion, which is the next uh, bit in our not really an 8-bit breakdown. Okay, then let's go to Theme and Immersion. Scott, it's called Solar 175 because this takes place 175 years after this catastrophic event. Something happens, and all we know is that this is 175 years later. Space, uh, it's a space theme, but really the, the, the meat of the theme is that there's no longer countries holding the power in our world or in our universe. Instead, it's corporations. Now, there are books that allude to this. I remember a college class. I had a teacher saying, can you imagine if like Google just had a country? Google has more money and more, uh, what, GDP than 80% of countries in the world. So theoretically, that can happen. That's what they're playing on here. You head a space corporation and your job is or your goal is you want to gain influence throughout the galaxy. Which, while I didn't see it in my playthrough, it's pretty evident that because the game has legacy elements, this universe will be ever expanding and you have more opportunity to spread your influence. The biggie here, Scott, and adventure is what I want to drive home. We're not playing space risk. We're not attacking each other. This this is a Euro game where you're trying to accumulate points. Yeah, there's a little bit of area control incorporated, but you're not attacking each other. You're not rolling dice or anything like that. It's strictly at the end of the game, who had more there? Okay, they won the influence in that section. We're trying to gain influence. That comes through in a voting mechanic too. Scott, endgame scoring. You've got three different cards on one side where you're going to be able to pick which of these things is going to double in points. And you vote for that throughout the game. When you're pulling your chips out of the bag, you can allocate guys to go vote on what they're lobbyists in the game. That thematically makes sense. You can lose one of your lobbyist chips and you can cast a vote. They even have a little ballot box. Now, you want to talk immersion. (laughs) You got a ballot box going. You send off a voter. You get to take one of the voting cards, put a little check mark. It's dry erase. Put a little check mark on which of those cards you want to score. And then you mm-hmm. pop it into that voting box, makes that nice little clunking sound. You actually feel like you're <laughs> doing it. They have a Euro game where they have found ways to get you immersed into the theme. And unlike a lot of space themes, it's anything but generic. There is a ton of work, a ton of writing and imagery behind their world. I was really impressed. Now, you're saying there's a lot of legacy elements. There's all this voting that's going on. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, it's going to skew a little bit higher now, and BGG has it as 4.0. Right. That makes me think that this could be out of the range of a lot of players. So what was the complexity like in this game? I would put this above mid-weight. This is not a super complex game. It, I think some people are going to look at it and be a little bit scared, but I'll, I'll reference Orleon. You remember playing Orleon with me? Yes, yes. Okay, first and foremost, 
I would say that's probably the most direct inspiration. The bag building mechanic where you're adding more chips, well, more workers in this case to your bag, pulling them out at the beginning of the turn and then allocating them to what you want to do. If you've played Orleone Adventures, you know that is not hard. It's not a difficult game. That is the main mechanism at play in Solar 175. If you can handle that, you're going to be able to handle the complex. They do tack on a few things. What with the endgame scoring, and not only does this add a tiny bit of complexity, it also adds a metric ton of strategy. Players have direct influence over the end game scoring here. So let's uh, let's reference Orleon again because it's a game that we all know. In Orleon, you mm-hmm. can build those uh, those little town, the the house, the trade. What do they call those things? Trading posts. Uh, trade. I trading something. I'm not sure exactly. Okay, we're gonna say the little wooden house. You can build the little wooden houses all throughout Orleon over there on the right side of the board. And at the end game, you know how they're going to score. You can move right. up the uh, the scriptorium track at the bottom of the board, and at the end of the game, mm-hmm. you know how it's going to score. In Solar 175, you can build a whole bunch of mega structures, but the scoring is going to be dependent on the players. You allocate chips to a scoring section. So you can allocate workers to this section of the board, and you can say, you know what, I'm going to remove this chip from my bag, and I'm going to place it up on mega structure scoring. So if I have three mega structures, how many points do I get? Well, I don't know. At the end of the game, how many chips have been allocated to mega structure scoring? There were six chips. Great. You get six points per mega structure. Oh, there were only two. You only get two points per mega structure. So there is a little bit of complexity during the game in determining how the end game scoring is going to play out. But frankly, I love that complexity. That gave players so much agency and so much to think about turn to turn. It's constantly shifting. It's constantly pivoting. You're playing guessing games with what the other people are going to do. And then you throw in a voting mechanic, a very simple, easy to carry out mechanic. But in gameplay, it gives your brain a lot to think about. Well, and that's something that I like. And I I don't mean this in a way of copying mechanics or anything, but as we've been playing a lot more games lately and the hobby is getting so big, I think one of the awesome things is being able to tell somebody whenever they're sitting down to a new game, well, have you played Orleone? All right, well, that works in this here. Mm -hmm. And have you played this? And I think it's not detrimental to the mechanics of the new game, but it's a great thing to be able to go into a game bring those things together and say, it's like this, it's like this, it's like this. And you're able to get in the game so much easier. Yeah. The familiarity uh, pays that, off that way. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. I'm I'm not really spooked by the complexity now. So that's, that's pretty good. No need to be. Now, where is the meat of the game in this one? Meat of the game. Where's your gameplay coming from? When your brain is being put to work, what's it thinking about? Okay, obviously the first spot is in that bag building. That is the primary meat of the game. What chips are you going to add to your bag? When are you going to remove chips from your bag? Scott, in Orleone, if you acquire uh, one of the chips, you you get something for it. You take it from the left Mm -hmm. side of the board, and uh, if you took, say, one of the... I don't remember the names of all... I think the inventor gave you one of those technology chips, and you could modify your board. So anytime you took a chip, you also got a benefit. Well, they have that here. So not only are you modifying your bag and your probabilities of drawing various chips, you're also getting an immediate 
bonus. Now, I said in the walkthrough, they took it a step further. One of the bonuses, for example, is the trade action. So when you take a trade action, very simple. There's three cards at the top that represent the things that you can do when you trade. None of them are tough to figure out. But if you acquire this chip, you're going to get a trade action and you get to pick which one of those three are you going to do. So they took something that in in a game like Corleone was really simple. And after you'd played it twice, there was nothing really fabulous about it, that taking a chip and adding it to your bag. In this case, they give you a little bit more to think about every time you do it. Lots of meat in the bag building. That's obvious. The end game scoring, though, I can't get over the end game scoring because I haven't seen it in many other places. There are a lot of games that let you determine when the game is going to end, which they have that Mm -hmm. here. There are a lot of games that let you influence the final scoring, but not like this. It's profound here. And it introduces an element of guessing what other people are going to do. If you and I are playing and you have a few bases down and you just keep on voting, you keep on sending things to make bases score points, suddenly Mm -hmm. I don't have to vote at all because I know that you're voting for base scoring to be big. I know that you're sending workers to base scoring. So you've used those chips. You've used those actions. Maybe I just build bases now and I count on you voting for what I'm going Mm. to get a payoff on. What if it's a three-player game? And someone else is voting. A four-player game. And we have four oh, different yeah. strategies being pursued. Or or two people are both going for mega structures. Am I right or wrong to not build mega structures? Because I think you're both going to be pushing for mega structures to score big. Should I continue down my path? Or should I try and sync up with what you're you can see I'm thinking about it right now. My brain's going nuts yeah, already thinking yeah. about it. A lot of meat in this game also comes from the final scoring. Okay, I'm probably about 50% right now. Uh, so I can kind of get from the tone of your voice that you had fun. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Is that correct? Absolutely. Okay. Well, who's this game for? Well, I think one of the issues that legacy games have is that with the exception of one or two, a lot of legacy games introduce luck elements. They have die rolling. They have things that you can't anticipate. And sometimes mm-hmm. the game just happens to you. There aren't a right. lot of Euro style legacy games. This has that. If you enjoy a good Euro and just think like, okay, do you prefer Axis and Allies or Orleans? That's going to tell mm-hmm. you whether, okay. do you prefer Nemesis or do you prefer Brass? And, you know, we love both, but that's going to give you an idea. (laughs) This is for the folks that like a good thinking Euro game where you got to put your mind to work and whoever thinks the best and plans the best is going to win the game. This is that game with legacy elements introduced. I struggle to think of someone who enjoys a good Euro that's not going to like Solar 175. Scott, we always say, and I say this often, oh, I'm backing this day one. And I mean it. I do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. I am juiced up to back this. I got to play it on TTS, and I know that there are prototypes out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, met, I messaged him already. I said, hey, Joe, can I please get a hard copy prototype? I can't wait to play the game. <laughs> it's that good. Oh, okay. Uh, no, you're kind of warming me up around the uh, 56, 57%. That now. only brought you up 6 or 7%. Yeah, well, hey, hey, let me hear from Joe and Maddie mm. and hear what they have to say about it, and I'll give you my final thoughts whenever we're done. Okay, let's do it. 
All right, adventurers, what a treat we have today. We've got Joe and Maddie from Cohito Ergo Meeple, designers of the upcoming Kickstarter game Solar 175. How are you doing today, guys? Very right? good, thank, thank you. you. Very nice to be here. So you two have got this big, grandiose game coming on Kickstarter. You've got a lot of people following the page already. Spoiler alert, listeners, this isn't live as we're recording. The Kickstarter is not live as we're recording, so we don't know yet. But I'm willing to bet that you guys have one of those Kickstarters that within a day or two, it's going to be funded or you've, you've certainly built up the hype, built up the following. Let's take it back a little bit. Let's talk about the earlier stages. Uh, I understand you were working on this game for something like five years, and all I could find about you was uh, you you did some work with uh, Philosophia. You have a couple design credits to your names already. Walk me through the inception of Solar 175. Wow. Okay, well, <laughs> where do we start? Well, firstly, we hope very much hope your future predictions are right for our Kickstarter campaign. Indeed. That would be fantastic huh. Um, yeah, so Solar 175 started about five years ago with a lot of world building. It's something we kind of do for fun. Yeah, um, absolutely love mm-hmm. it. I think it's sometimes always the best bit, you know, delving yourselves into these worlds and creating new elements that people can explore. And um, so we started with that. We started with the world building and that just kept on developing. It was, uh, it, I mm-hmm. don't know if you've, uh, we were talking a bit earlier before recording about this, but there was a book called the Mad Adam Trilogy, or a series of books called The Mad Adam Trilogy mm. by Margaret Atwood. All right. It's a great trilogy. The first book's called Oryx and Crake. And the idea is it's it's a sort of dystopian future world where corporations have control everything. They've got the main sort of sources of power in, in the world. We were just sort of playing about with that idea. You know, what, what would that world look like? Mm. Particularly if you add in sort of the, uh, the imminent expansion of humanity into the solar system. I mean, SpaceX say they're going to yeah. be on Mars in what, 2026 yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, so it felt very like we might actually be doing stuff like that soon. And so Solo 175 starts. Mm-hmm. Where does that go? What yeah. does that end up with? And we wanted it to have that element of realism. There's quite a lot of space games that are sort of about finding aliens and traveling here and there with these, you know, new creatures and things. We wanted to make it a little bit. Yeah, they're better. fantastical. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. And they're great. I mean, they're, they're Oh, fantastic. yeah, 100%. But we wanted to do something a little different, maybe, you know, a little bit more dystopian sci fi nearer the real world. Yeah. So that's where mm-hmm. we settled. Mm-hmm. And that's where we, you know, felt that this was going. You know, we obviously, after developing the world, we then went on to think about the game and what it's actually going to look like and feel like. What do we want the players to actually experience? Yeah, I think one of the things that made this game take so long to design was the inclusion of legacy. We decided quite early on that it needed to be a legacy game to to incorporate the elements of the vast sort of world we were creating. Mm. But that makes design so difficult. (laughs) The the playtesting you have to do, because everything has to work, not just in the the one game you do over and over again, but across all... Almost like you're designing multiple games. Exactly. Yeah, it really is like that. And it's but playtesting one thing might affect game 10 in the series. So you have to come yeah. back and try that Reel it back. differently. Yeah. So I'm, we've played this uh, game. Yeah, <laughs> we have. <laughs> oh, indeed. Now, you made this decision that it was going to be a legacy game. I assume that there was, you've obviously played legacy games prior to that. Is is there one that when you played it, you went, aha, this is brilliant. I love this style of game. Legacy is so cool. And something had to trigger you to say, we're going to make this thing a legacy game. What What did that? 
Mm. Well, yeah, like you say, we have played lots of legacy games, you know, Pandemic we loved, but I think we really, really loved and what made us think, right, this is what we need to do. It was Charterstone by Stonemaier Games. Mm. Um, we just... I really particularly loved how as the games went on and the campaign progressed, it really felt like the emphasis was on improving the game and, you know, the extras, the additions to the game won, whereas other legacy games we've played felt more like it was all about destruction, it was about tearing up cards and getting rid of them, and it, that almost felt, you know, it just didn't yeah. feel right for what we were going for, so Charterstone for mm-hmm. us was definitely a big turning point. I, I would say that, and, and, and Gloomhaven as well, has got this, mm. this similar sort of scope of, of mm. Gloomhaven. What we really wanted was to create something where it gets better every time you play mm. it. You know, I think one of the things I've spoken to a lot of gamers about this, that people, they like legacy games because of the permanence and the excitement of things, but they also, right. when people buy a board game, they've got a thing that they have for life. It's like a collection, right? And if you play a game and then you're just done with it, it sort of seems to go against that collecting yeah. feeling of it. And like, yeah. I bought a thing and I can now have this forever. So with Solar 175, we wanted to have the permanence. You play a game, the game is then different. But, it's better and yeah. it's now more unique to you and you will never throw away a copy of solo 175 no. you'll never be done with it it will yeah. never stop changing but it's it's sort of so it's still got that legacy element but it's more about the creation than the destruction mm-hmm. i think Charterstone. so right. even after i finish the campaign i understand there's uh, how many games are in a campaign if i go start to finish and i get my group of three friends over and guys we're going to play this start to finish now you're saying it's never ending it it, could never you end. elaborate on that a little bit so the there is sort of there's sort of two two answers to that question. We have a sort of campaign within it. So you will take mm-hmm. the game, you'll play through uh, sort of the initial campaign and slowly unlock material, and you will get an ending. The ending you get will depend on choices you've made within the game. But that ending okay. is not the end of the game. So there is a sort of mini campaign that'll take you. It depends on how many players you play with and the choices you make mm-hmm. and things like that. Uh, but that'll take anywhere from sort of 20 to a hundred hours to complete that. I mean, it can take a long time. Oh my goodness. Wow. Um, but when mm-hmm. that's done, you will probably have only unlocked about two thirds of the material of the game. Mm-hmm. And then the world will keep expanding with you. So you'll keep sort of developing it. You'll be naming cities. You'll mm-hmm. be expanding. More stuff will come into the game. And you'll also learn about the universe um, more too. So we've actually been really lucky to have somebody who's writing narratives for the universe, for the different planets and locations. So we've got tons of them. And we think it's going to be really fun for players to delve into those narratives and actually learn about, you know, some stories that are happening on that planet in that location they chose and you know, we really have gone really quite deep into the world building it's, on this. Game. Yeah, it's it's a big game. The idea is, is you'll you'll never get to the end of it. It's impossible. Mm. So you're talking about getting into the world building of this game, and it sounds like that the theme came first here. You mm. were showing me, Joe. There's a you guys made a magazine. It's a 70 page. Uh, well, I don't want to say a fake magazine, but <laughs> you know, a flavor. A flavor. You know, comes with the game, and you can read through what's going on in this world 175 years after an apocalyptic type of event, a world changing event. Indeed. Yes, the magazine is something that we obviously did digitally initially, and then we mm-hmm. loved it so much, and we thought actually. We haven't really seen a board game do this where it actually has its own 
magazine that you can look through. You can see the adverts from the corporations in the game. You can see um, interviews for, from different political parties and things like that. So we just absolutely mm-hmm. love doing that together. It's, yeah, the idea is it's like you're holding an artifact from the world yeah. that you're in. And we also, it's quite useful because you can put the scoring in there. So the, as you play the game, you'll be there are, there are elections that will be happening and you'll be recording down the winnings mm. the winners of that elections and also what happens in your choices. I can't say too much without No, spoilers, you don't but... want to say too much, but it will <laughs> it's definitely feel like it's yeah. your, you know, something that is yours and that you own it. Yeah, and that comes in every copy of the game. That's not Indeed. just a Kickstarter exclusive or anything like that. We feel it's kind of integral to it. Mm-hmm. No, when I think big space game, a big epic sprawling adventure. I think a little more on the Ameritrash side of gaming, which listeners, you're aware, that means it's a little more luck-based. I think Twilight Imperium, I I think games where, you know what, sometimes the game's going to happen to you, but you didn't go that direction here. We have a more Euro-style game. I mentioned in the first half of the episode that it uh, sort of drew some inspiration from Orléans. There's there's certainly a, I can think about what I'm going to do next and I'm going to score points, or I have a chance of winning using my brain. I know that sounds ridiculous. Well, it's a board game. You should be able to use your brain to win. But some games, the game kind of happens to you. Some random things will just put you in a position where it's much more difficult to win. You went Euro here. It is a game that you're going to be able to think about what you're going to do, think about what's going to happen next turn. Why Euro? If if we're going space, uh, is that your background? You prefer that style of game? No, I I think you're absolutely right. It is a Euro game. It's um, uh, it's very much uh, strategic, tactical. There's a lot of open. There's some hidden information, but mostly mm-hmm. it's uh, uh, it's open, and you're you're trying to work efficiently to make things happen. Yeah, games like All Leon. We've also played, um, you know, Great Western Trail. Absolutely loved Ooh. all the decisions that you can make in mm-hmm. those games, um, and we also really like the replayability. And that was something. That for Solo One Seven Five, we really wanted to hone in on. We want it to be deeply replayable, and we have, you know, throughout the campaign and through the games, there are so many things that can change. Even the way you win a game can change each game. So we really, really wanted to hone in on that, and also, you know, thinking of our audience, other players. You know, we know that that's something that people do seek. Yeah, we uh, th- we haven't seen that many Euro style legacy games. I mean, again, Charterstone uh, being an exception, uh, and I think it so- it actually lends itself quite well to that. So having that sort of competitive Euro game where it, it changes and evolves and new mechanics come in as you play. In Solo One Seven Five, you're playing with uh, there's a bag building element which is similar to games like Orleans or Altiplano, uh, and if you haven't played any of them, it's it's they, they sort of got the idea from deck building games. It's that same cycling mm. of cards and building an engine. Right. And then there's also area control. One of the inspirations for that was the game El Grande, uh, another sort of classic uh, Euro style game. And there's an element of this where you're building up information and presence throughout the different zones of the solar mm. system. And as Joe's saying, mm-hmm. um, with these different mechanics, so bag building, we absolutely, you know, really, really enjoyed in other games. But when we started off with only bag building, it felt like the interaction between players was lacking. And that's something we were really looking for. So that's why we added the area control element where you're moving around the board to different Mm. locations, picking things up. There are other players doing different things. And you're actually looking at what other players are doing and thinking, right, Mm -hmm. am I going to get on board with their sort of tactics or am I going to actually actively go against what they're doing to try and sort of sabotage? Um, And those mechanics, those interactions really did help how we wanted the game to feel for players. 
So you not only have the interacting on the board, what with trying to get area majority for the various uh, uh, sections of the board, which in a two-player game, as Joe and I had, it was very um, uh, like a zero-sum game. Well, I see he's going for there. I have the option. Am I going to contend with him there or am I just going to let him have it and I'll take this slice? On the other hand, a three-player game, a four-player game, I can see that getting really interactive. To your point, for a Euro game, you know, you're not actively attacking someone, but in a subtle way, in a different way, you're still yeah. competing very directly with their game plan. My next question was going to be based on gameplay. We're already sort of diving in there, which stuck out to me the most. I already went over it the first half of the episode. We've got the uh, sort of worker placement, bag building style of Orleans. But what I loved the most is that you have influence over that end game scoring. Are we going to make having a, a certain aspect of the game worth more points, less points? The players get to directly influence that. I did a terrible job explaining how that happened. So why don't you guys tell us the end game scoring that the points and the way that play is going to affect that. Yeah, so th this is something I think that's fairly unique to Solo 175, mm. or at least well, I'm not aware of seeing it set in other places. We have two mechanics that work together to really try and ramp up the replayability. Uh, as we said before, this mm -hmm. is a game that's supposed to last hundreds of hours potentially. You know, we don't want it going stale. So, what How many times do you think I can sit down and play a game, Joe? I don't have hundreds of hours. <laughs> you got all the time in the well, world, right? <laughs> the idea is, is hopefully it's as many times as you want, and it will always be fresh and different and new. But um, I play yeah. a game once and I sell it. <laughs> well, you won't with Solo One Seven Five. There are too many juicy. There's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, to answer to answer your question, I think that there's two mechanics in there that that do what you're talking about. The one is where you're able to take your workers that you're building into your pool and you can sort of mm -hmm. send them off to fight for the what's called the UFSS peacekeeping force which uh, claims a monopoly of violence in the in the solar system uh, they're kind of the military arm of the shady corrupt government that's uh, that's across all of each of the moons and planets in the game mm -hmm. when you do that each worker you place and send there will affect the scoring of one element of the game. So, for example, if you send mm -hmm. your general workers to fight, then actually building a presence in the solar system will become more powerful. If you send your pilots off, then your bases will become more powerful. If you send algorithms, sort of AI workers off, then helping to build megastructures around the uh, solar system becomes more powerful. So what players do with that will change the endgame scoring. And similarly, in sort of conjunction with this, we have a voting mechanic mm. where you're able, there's a ballot box. Um, we and, designed an actual ballot box. It was yeah. actually very geeky, but very fun. <laughs> yeah, sort of an inch thing and made of cardboard. Yeah. Great. You know, he was showing me on the camera, all, all, like he was showing me the prototype and he's pulling out the punch boards and he was spending a really long time on the punch board that had the ballot box. Ah. <laughs> and look, you could take this out and then it intersects here and it makes the little box. We're a little bit <laughs> proud of that bit in particular. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, but with the ballot box, which, by the way, the bottom is raised so that when you vote and you put a vote in, it makes a very satisfying voting sound. Clunking sound. Clunking nice. sound. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, well, so the, um, when you're voting, you're taking these tokens that have different political parties from the, the game world, and you literally you put a cross next to the one you want to vote for, mm -hmm. you stick that into the ballot box, and then at the end of the game, the party that wins the election mm -hmm. will also affect how the game is scored. Indeed. Uh, and that with the UFSS peacekeeping force mechanic means that each game will have very different strategies to win. Indeed. 
And it gives the players the agency to decide how they're going to continue playing. I can start a game with one strategy in mind, but if you're starting to stuff a ballot box and I think, okay, he's probably doing that, uh-huh. then mm-hmm. I can kind of adjust my strategy. Well, you know what? I don't have to vote for that now because I think he's voting for the, or he or she is voting for that. So I think that's going to get the bonus scoring at the end. So without having to ever use one of my workers to vote, I'm going to go ahead and just start building what I think they're pushing towards and pivot my strategy a little bit. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's and exactly what we're going for. We really liked that it just gave that an, another element to the player interaction. Because like you say, you know, you can actually look at what they might be doing. And also sometimes you're totally wrong. I've done it plenty of times where I'm looking at what another player's doing and sort of trying to guess who they might be voting for. Um, and that's just it just adds so much more interesting mm. interactions and it, decisions. The, the, the thematics we really like. I mean, it, you know, you actually are writing down on a ballot box mm. and putting it into a, a on a ballot and then putting it into a box. Uh, it feels really effective, I mm. think. Yeah, it's it's also fits with the, the world of we're talking a lot about how this government becomes quite corrupt and yeah. you're kind of part of that. And so there's lots of sort of ethical questions that come up within it, mm-hmm. uh, which, again, we can't sort of talk too much about that. Yeah. But there might be anarchist groups that appear and change the way the game works. I won't say any more, but <laughs> Terminators, <laughs> aliens show up. <laughs> I, I'm not saying we're anything. Not, we're zipped. We are zipped. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's going to hurt my next question. My next question was about what? legacy elements, and I didn't actually type out the question. I just wrote, spill some beans for us. Now I know that you can't get specific, but I can tell from one playthrough, there are some areas where it feels like, okay, we have these two different cards to work with. I could see where down the road, the game might introduce a third card. We have two different areas of space right now that we're aware of. I can see where down the road, we might get a third or even a fourth. So you you don't have to get specific. Maybe even just tell us, like, are there sealed boxes in the box or give us an idea. Like, I know if I'm buying the game, I kind of want to have some idea of how it's going to expand. I don't just want to know, oh, well, it's a legacy game. Well, that, that might mean I'm tearing up cards. That might mean I'm going to be opening new boards. Without spoiling, give us an idea of what we might expect. This is a very cheeky question, yeah, by how the we, way. How are we going to <laughs> go about um, this? Well... Okay, um, let me rephrase it. Give us a level up exclusive that you haven't told anyone. Oh, okay. Uh, I think I think we could talk about. The, I think the the anarchist group that because okay. that that's sort of alluded to in the magazine, yeah. isn't it? So yeah. so there's a, a group in um, in the magazine. There's an interview with one of the members of it called the Celestial Rebellion. This group has been created as a reaction to the corruption across the politics of the, yeah. the world of solar. Well, this corporation's gaining too much power. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And a lot of people are reacting to that, and this, it's sort of all brought into this element here with the Celestial Rebellion. Now, in the game, to begin, mm-hmm. the first few games, you're only voting for one of three different political parties. But what could come up later is... Emphasis on could. Could. Uh, is <laughs> the ability to do things like, say, spoil your ballots, or introduce bribery in there and these two different elements could actually bring in make this anarchist group more powerful which will actually start affecting Mm -hmm. how the game is scored and maybe some of the narrative elements of the game as well indeed oh that is a spoiler for you right there (laughs) (laughs) and in addition to that you were right so the the zones are going to expand you start off just sort of with the inner solar system and the asteroids Mm -hmm. but then as the world 
worlds, you're going to start seeing your world get much bigger. Mm -hmm. You'll also start seeing the world become quite unique. So one of the things that you'll do is, is start naming cities in planets and moons that you settle. Then you'll have your own version of the solar system. So very quickly, you'll end up with a game that is entirely yours. Nobody else in the world will have this game and nobody else can play in this solar system, just you. Yeah. And so in each box, you've got four boxes of content to uncover, along with 20 hidden content envelopes. Yeah, there's you? more than 100 components yep. going to be added to the game. Indeed. Holy, 20 envelopes, four okay. sealed boxes. Yes, Indeed. that's right. I like whenever a legacy game gives me the opportunity to name things, name cities or name characters. The only issue that I have with that is like with the groups that I play with, inevitably by our third game, we're using like dirty words and toilet humor. So all of our completed legacy games, we have like toilet land and <laughs> it gets a little ridiculous. <laughs> Well, that will be in my copy of Solar 175. Each to their own. <laughs> I look forward to visiting Toilet Land yeah. on, on uh, the moon of Io. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk the Kickstarter. We know a bit about the components. I want to know about the pledge levels. You know, What's our base pledge? What kind of uh, upgrades or potential expansions? Let me know. When I click on that Kickstarter page, what am I going to be seeing? So uh, what the plan is currently, and we're still sort of discussing with people about the final version of this, but there'll be three pledge levels. So the lowest pledge mm -hmm. level is it gets you the basic retail version of Solar 175. And then okay. a step up from that will be the, the sort of, I mean, it's, it's pretty normal for Kickstarter. You have the, the Kickstarter deluxe level. That's of course. You having more components, metal components. We don't want anyone to miss out on anything gameplay-wise. You know, the gameplay is crucial to us. That's the thing. So whatever level you come in at, you're going to get the full game. Mm -hmm. It's whether you want to have a bit more of a deluxified experience with the metal tokens and the yeah. extras and um, things like that. Uh, one of the interesting things about our Kickstarter is we also are releasing it alongside a smaller game set in the same universe. Oh, uh, I don't know if Maddie wanted. Indeed. So you didn't um, tell me anything about this. <laughs> well, there's another spoiler for you. <laughs> So in the Kickstarter Deluxe All-In Pledge level, um, you basically get mm -hmm. two games. You get all of the Kickstarter Deluxe Solar 175 game, but you also get this second mm -hmm. game, which we've designed called Gonza Index, and that's actually based in the Solar 175 universe. So it's embedded itself in there. Do we say more? I think so, yeah. I, I, we we dice talked about it a lot on your yeah. video there. YouTube channel. Indeed. So um, I have on the YouTube channel, Cogito Design, we talk a bit about how we've actually gone about step-by-step step designing this game. Um, it's a dice mm -hmm. chucking game where you're basically stock trading, stock trading in different corporations. Um, yeah. It's a fast-paced sort of gateway style game. It's, it's not, it's not going to take you too long to learn or play. The idea is we're sort of thinking it's the game you could play first before you have a big main event of solar mm -hmm. 175 uh are you waiting for someone else to show up sure <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. Sure. and it'll get you embedded into the game world a bit more and it, and it delves into uh sort of the more a lot of solar 175 happens out in the solar system this is more like earthbound mm -hmm. um focusing on an area of a city called yurishi city there's mm -hmm. a place called gonza if you really want to go all in, you want the full experience, you can get that too. Yep. But that's obviously optional. Indeed. So we've so, got our base game, we've got our deluxe game, and then we've got the deluxe game with the bonus game as well. Exactly, yeah. Well, guys, on the subject of Kickstarter, we have a lot of concern right now What with shipping around the world. Things are, things are delayed. Things are costing more. 
Do you have an idea of when your ideal delivery date is? If I back this day one, campaign ends, what happens after that? We, we've spent a long time working on this. Uh, I mean, this is our third big box Kickstarter game. Our first two games uh, were also, the last one was just delivered in uh, last summer. Uh, and the one before mm-hmm. that was sort of at the beginning of the pandemic. So we have a lot of experience of dealing with the price hikes, the logistical issues. Um, we're quite lucky. We work so, with some good partners who know this thing, these things really well. We're also at a point where the playtesting is done, the design is done. We've planned out the models and the artwork and everything. So a lot of that initial work is done. Mm-hmm. We just need to send it off mm-hmm. to get manufactured. Uh, and we have those contacts with our manufacturing agency in China. So it should, hopefully... We have everything in place. I would say we're looking at February 2023 delivery for this. Yeah, that would be our uh, things can you know things can obviously change, but we we have factored a lot of that in. Mm-hmm. No, no, I just wrote it down in pen. <laughs> it's final. <laughs> yeah. Well but, uh, then, I, I would expect, I would expect hopefully to beat that. To be honest, but, I'm really hoping we. Could. Uh, that's that's a conservative estimate. Yeah, we've just made we've made sure to put everything in place so that we are ready. So that if we do get funded and this game actually gets made, and we would be oh, that would just be a dream. You know, April first, we have you know a bit of time to just get ourselves together and celebrate, and we can send all this stuff off. Yeah. It's not something we have to wait months to continue developing. We've made this product, and we want it to be ready and in people's on people's tabletops as soon as possible. Yeah, I, I would say if you've backed any of our previous Kickstarters, the turnaround time should be similar. Yeah, I think we've been pretty consistent. Excellent. Well, listen, I'm going to give you both the opportunity to tell us where we might want to learn a little bit more. However, have you listened to any of our episodes before? We haven't heard enough of them. Oh, definitely not enough. <laughs> have you heard one with that had a designer on it by chance? Not yet, no. I can't no. remember one. Oh, no. excellent. So you have no idea what's about to happen. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. This is very worrying. This is actually worrying. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I'm going to give you each the chance to level up, and to do so, I need my co-host, Scott. Scott, come on in here. What do you say? Scott, we're going to give Maddie and Joe the opportunity to level up. How's that sound, you guys? Excellent. Awesome. Excited. <laughs> All right, who's going to go first? Go on, then. I'll go, go first. Go, Joe. Go, Joe. All right, Joe, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to ask you eight questions, and I want you to answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. All right? Okay. Scott, you ready? All right, and I'm ready to start the timer. Go. Joe, I was a keeper in soccer, and you're from Europe, so could you score a goal on me? Absolutely. I'm from (laughs) Manchester. It's the home of football. (laughs) With four hours to do so, could you drink a whole gallon of milk? Yes. Coffee or tea? Neither. Don't drink hot drinks. Can you name the Beatles? John, Paul, George, and Ringo, formerly known as Richard. How many board (laughs) games do you own? Uh, That one I'm not answering. (laughs) too too many (laughs) rough guess how many times have you played solar 175 a thousand (laughs) what's the worst song in the world the venga boys anything by the venga boy (laughs) can you name a member of the pittsburgh steelers no (laughs) (laughs) and stop I'm going to be useless at this. Oh, uh, I don't know, Scott. I don't know. Uh, couldn't name a Pittsburgh Steeler. That's that's quite the end. You don't drink coffee. You don't drink tea. Come on. Oh, I don't want to win it. I think Maddie's going to have to pull this one home if we're going to get the level up. You ready, Maddie? Okay. Scott, ready? Ready, 
set, go. Does pineapple belong on a pizza? Hell yes. Which is the more dangerous foe, aliens or a predator? Ooh, aliens. <laughs> if Solar 175 got into a fight with Philosophia Floating World, who would win? Oh, oh. Oh, Solar 175. <gasps> <laughs> Beer or wine? Ooh, wine. <laughs> At the end of Titanic, Rose was floating on a door. Was there enough room on there for Jack? <laughs> yes. <laughs> on a map with only land and water, could you find Pittsburgh? No, probably Oh, no. <laughs> Is there enough time for your artists to make me into a card in Solar 175? Perhaps as a stretch goal, <laughs> please. He's <laughs> so awesome. We could try. <laughs> What's your favorite board game that you haven't created? Oh, I do love Viticulture. And Stop. Hey, Scott, I think I think they've earned it. Between the two of you guys, I think we're going to go ahead and give you a level up. Well done. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> guys, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for teaching me how to play the game. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to try. I've said this before, and listeners, I always mean this, and I do back when I say it. I'm going to try and be backer number one. And then I can tell, tell my friends that I'm back at number one. Joe, Maddie, thanks for coming. Thanks for teaching me the game, for making us feel like we're a part of the process here. I want to give you to the floor and let the adventurers know anything else you might like to tell them about where they can learn more about you, Cohito Ergo Meeple, the game, etc. Floor is yours. Well, first of all, can we just say thank you, guys? It's been an absolute pleasure teaching the game, being on the show, and uh, we're really thankful yeah, to be here. So, so thank you so, so much. much. Oh, you're um, welcome. So you can check out our YouTube channel, Kugito Design, where you'll see as the campaign goes live, there'll be videos on there. There's also videos about how we design games on there too. You can check out our website, mm -hmm. And of course, Solo175 goes live on Kickstarter on March the 1st. Joe, Maddie, both both of you, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, I look forward to the Kickstarter. I look forward to seeing this thing fund quickly. And I can't wait to get my copy. But I'm going to hold you to February of next year. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we will do our best. Yeah. Take care, you two. Thanks thank very you. much, guys. Bye. Scott, they did pretty good with the lightning round. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> Why so glum? Well, I'm going to have to try and figure out how to explain to uh, my wife how <laughs> I'm backing <laughs> another Kickstarter. <laughs> you ought to wait and see if we can't get a hold of that prototype. It won't be the same. It won't have the metal bits, oh. but we'll have something to play with it. So you're this, sold on This it. podcast is going to lead to my divorce. I swear it is. Oh, why do we have so many good games? I don't know. <laughs> Oh, Joe and Maddie, boy, I tell you what, you guys just knocked it out of the park with all the design elements of this, the legacy and building this whole world. I mean, it's holy cow. Yeah, it's kind of funny. We started the podcast thinking, okay, we'll get to, you know, we won't have to spend as much money on games because sometimes they'll be provide. Nope, nope, we're <laughs> nope, nope, nope. <laughs> it doesn't nope, work that nope. way, folks. <laughs> no, that's, that's phenomenal. You know what, Scott? This is a day one back. I told Joe, and I mean it. I'm going to try and be backer number one, which almost worked with Magical Friends. You know, it's backer number right, like three. Exactly. So I'm going to be refresh, refresh. Re I want to be backer number one. And I learned something. I learned a strategy here. I don't have to like go through and make sure I'm picking the right thing. That's always been my downfall. It takes me 30 seconds. Okay, I want to back Deluxe Pledge. And uh, shit, I don't have to do that. I can just pledge for a buck and hit the button. 
and then I can modify it afterwards. So I'm going to like- There you go. Boom, boom. Click, click. Backer number one. That's the goal. That's the goal. If you got nothing else from this episode, Adventurers, at least now you know how to be backer number one. Do not use that against me. I swear. (laughs) (laughs) Joe, Maddie, thank you for talking with Patrick. Thank you for putting your heads together and coming up with this awesome world, this awesome game. You know what? I think next episode, we ought to change things up a little bit. Oh, yeah? We got, uh, what is that, yes. like episode 49? I don't know. Our timeline's a little shaken up right now. But, I know. Uh, I know. It's getting a little timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly here. All but, right. uh, Executive but yeah, decision. What you got in mind, Scott? I think since we just had our game day and everything, we got a chance to play Nemesis Lockdown. Mm. I think we ought to do an 8-bit breakdown of that and then talk about the differences between Nemesis and Nemesis Lockdown because there were so many different things in it, but it was still so alike. Oh, that's a deal. That's what we'll do. Adventures, keep your eyes open for the next episode. We'll be doing a, how about, uh, what do we want to call it? The Nemesis double feature? Ooh, I like that. I like that. Well, thanks for joining us, Adventurers. Solar 175, live on Kickstarter, March 1st. Get out there and get this thing funded. Yep. Be good, Adventurers. Have a great one. See you, Scott. See you later, Patrick. Thank you so much for joining this adventure of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. There you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes. Learn more at adamhainesmusic.com. And remember... You can spend another night on the sofa, or you can get some friends together, get some adventures on the table, and level up.